Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have two co-founders, two co-founders with uh, different backgrounds. You know, they've done fantastic things, you know, before they actually came together to build this incredible company that we're going to be talking uh, about today. You know, they've uh, done it as well, you know, a couple of times. So this is not the first rodeo, but without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guests today and their names are Sujay Hajela and then also Bob Friday, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank Good you. Good to be here. So, so let's do a little bit of a walk through memory line, uh, guys. So, why don't we start with Sujay? So, Sujay, you're originally born in India. So, how was uh, life growing up there? Uh, life growing up there was fun. Necessity is the mother of invention. That's our motto in India. And where, where, where exactly in India were you born? Uh, I was born in uh, the capital, uh, New Delhi. Got it. And obviously, Bob, in your in your case, it was Northern California. Yep. As a born up in Chico up there. Got it. Got it. So, so, Sergey, so tell us, how did you get, you know, involved into all of this, um, I would say, like, uh, like technology and, and business? I mean, was this like early on or, or how does this happen? Actually, a bit of it was upbringing. Uh, come from a family of technocrats and bureaucrats. Uh, heavy influence in technology was my dad, um, who has done some amazing things in elect- you know, in engineering. And that's what I thought as uh, the career I wanted to adopt because I like to solve problems um, and solve problems analytic- analytic- analytically and in a structure. So uh, that's how I got into. Uh, technology early on and hence went to pursue my computer science and technology in India as my undergraduate degree. And the same for you, right, Bob? Yeah, I I started my uh, technology career back in high school. And I think my my very first science project was building a hologram back in the 70s. So I was always big into science, math and, uh, and building things. So let's talk about the the professional career, because I understand, Sujay, that that you went, you know, a little bit around the world. So, uh, so tell us, you know, why did you decide to pack the bags and and see what's out there? Yeah, I think I would uh, really paraphrase it with some amazing opportunities, which uh, gave me a well-rounded uh, framework 
in the business world. So I started my career after my undergraduation in India. And a year in of, after working in India, I got an amazing opportunity uh, to be recruited by Siemens in Germany, uh, which is where I spent uh, you know, close to two years in Berlin and two years in Munich. And there it really helped me understand the value of time and understand the value of commitment in a very European culture. Uh, from there, I moved on to uh, Hewlett-Packard. I was recruited by Hewlett-Packard uh, for an opportunity in Singapore in their OpenView Telecom Group, uh, which was a very fast-growing uh, unit. And Sing- that opportunity offered me the ability to really give a practical aspect to things I needed to do. And all the management principles with Hewlett-Packard really was bringing to the table, helped me shape my thinking in management. And from there, Hewlett Packard relocated me to the United States. I was actually working in the Santa Clara division in uh, in the Santa Clara area. And from there, it was just an amazing ride. Uh, got in uh, to work with Hewlett Packard, uh, then joined uh, a very upcoming startup called Altion Web Systems, which then got uh, bought by Nortel uh, for a multi-billion dollar evaluation. Um, Stayed with Nortel for some time and then saw a big change in the evolution of wireless technology. And that made me, um, you know, join Symbol Technologies as their vice president of engineering. Uh, Symbol Technologies did extremely well, got acquired by Motorola in 2007. Um, I think it was north of a $3 billion acquisition and stayed with Motorola to run their enterprise wireless LAN business and then got recruited by Cisco. Uh, as the VP uh, GM for their network management business, um, then moved on to run their wireless LAN business, which is where I met Bob Friday, and we just had an amazing run, making it a $2.4 billion uh, revenue stream for Cisco when we left. But at Cisco itself, after doing extremely well in the wireless business, as frankly a key role being played by Bob, who helped shape my thinking on how the technologies are evolving, went on to lead uh, the enterprise networking business was Cisco from a product management and strategy perspective. And in 2014, 2011 and 12, 13, you know, at Cisco, you get a big aperture of, of, of the customers out there and the trends in the market. Really started uh, having a, a joint discussion with Bob where we felt something had to evolve. In 2012, actually, Bob and I led the acquisition of a company called Meraki into Cisco. It was a $1.2 billion acquisition as a part of uh, our view on what's changing in the industry. But in 2014, came to the realization that there is definitely a need for a network architecture which focuses on end-user experience rather than focusing on the network. And as soon as we came to that philosophy that it's important for me to know what's Alejandro's experience on the network rather than knowing whether an access point is working or not. As soon as we made that philosophical pivot, it then led to a new architecture driven by artificial intelligence. Got it. And obviously that led to your business. So let's say pause it right there. So now let's go with Bob. So you went to Georgia Tech. So you moved from Northern California, then you know you went to Atlanta, then Georgia Tech, and then you went at it as an entrepreneur right away. I mean, how did you develop this book for, for starting businesses? Yeah, I think my, you know, my first job coming out of Georgia Tech is I made a beeline back to California and uh, got a job at Watkins Johnson, uh, which was kind of a military contractor. 
I was there for about three years, and then basically met, did my very first startup was uh, Metricom Ricochet. Um, and that's where I kind of learned, you know, when you're in a startup, you can basically do anything you want. You know, I started Metricom as a, uh, as actually as a software engineer. Uh, it turned out that, you know, in that business, we were building these wireless mesh networks for smart grid. Uh, and then we had no one to build radios. Uh, and I actually became the person who actually started to build radios there. And it was back in the early days before CAD systems. And so I was basically able to teach myself how to build a radio, turn around, and actually get it built, you know, within six weeks. So I was basically keeping ahead of the software team. Uh, so that was kind of the beginnings of my entrepreneurship of, you know, what it really takes when you do a, a startup um, that you end up wearing as you end up wearing as many hats as you can. Yeah. Uh, and there's really there's really no limit to what you can do. You're basically limited by whatever you're capable of. So whatever happened with this uh, company, with Metricom? Yeah, so the Metricom Ricochet, basically, that was in the 1980s or so. Uh, so like I said, we started building basically wireless nesters. That's when the unlicensed spectrum was becoming uh, available. Uh, so we we're building these unlicensed mesh networks uh, across the country to really read, uh, uh, read the meters on your house. Um, and then we basically, from there, I think it was the late 80s when the first internet started to come out um, in the browsers. Yeah. Uh, then we made the decision to actually start building wireless mesh networks to hook up all the laptops and the browsers out there. Um, and that was a lesson I learned. You know, the interesting thing in that part of that adventure was uh, that's when I learned about mark and timing, right? You know, that was back in the late 80s, 90s. Um, wireless internet wasn't a bad thought. It was just a much better thought when the iPhone came out. So that was one lesson I learned in the Another lesson I learned is during the internet boom, Metricom Ricochet, we spent, uh, they basically invested way too much money into inventory. Uh, so when the boom came around, Metricom Ricochet did not survive the internet uh, crash. Got it. Uh, so that's where I, that is where I learned uh, the importance of having very high IQ executive teams. And there's always a couple of critical decisions during a startup uh, where you need your executive team to make critical decisions. So, Bob, what was your biggest learn lesson from, uh, because obviously from from successes, you don't learn as much as, you know, when from things don't turn around, you know, or, or, or they don't turn out to be as, as, as you expected them to be. So, I guess, what was your biggest lesson on on perhaps not such a, a positive outcome? Well, I would think it's, in a sense, the thing, uh, Metricom Ricochet was actually a very positive outcome in terms of it finally went public and everyone made a bunch of money. Yeah. But, uh thing I learned about Metricom during that adventure was really two things. One is the um, uh, market timing, as I said, making sure that, you know, maybe a great thought, but you got to make sure it's at the right time in the market. Uh, the other thing I learned about the critical of really having the right on the right executive team. Uh, so that's where I learned that, yes, you know, if you're going to do startups, you need to make sure you have very high IQ CEOs and CEOs who can actually make uh, make good decisions. Okay, got it. And then you went and did your next venture, which was uh, Aerospace. So um, so tell us about this company. Yeah, so Aerospace happened during the uh, early 2000, 2001 timeframe. Um, so that was uh, an in interesting time because that was right after the internet crash. Um, and we were actually trying to start a company. So we were out raising money. While most of VCs were shutting down companies, we were actually out trying to raise money. 
uh, it turned out to be a good time for VCs to hire teams because there's a lot of teams out, uh, out available. Uh, but the aerospace adventure was really focused on the Wi-Fi transition. That was when Wi-Fi was just starting to come out to market. Yeah. Uh, and enterprises were really having to start to dealing with a large number of employees uh, and a large number of employees bringing Wi-Fi into the enterprise space. It was really a security issue of having people bringing in their access point into the enterprise space. Got it. Um, so aerospace is really about trying to help enterprises uh, who are, from my perspective, were looking a lot like uh, wireless service providers, following my Metricom adventures that, you know, this looked like kind of a wireless service provider enterprise opportunity. Got it. So obviously the um, the company ended up being acquired by by Cisco, uh, and and I believe that the terms were about four hundred and fifty million. So pretty pretty good uh, outcome. And this is the time where finally the two of you, you know, the destiny really puts you in the under the same roof. So um, you guys were talking about. I remember uh, Sergey how you guys started brainstorming and and thinking about you know like how to perhaps, um, you know, like come up with, with a really interesting solution uh, for all the stuff that you were seeing around you and, and so forth. So, so I want to know, like, what was that day? And maybe, Sujay, you can tell us about this. When, when you guys finally made the decision that, you know, starting MIST made total sense. Alejandro, you know, it's, it's always sometimes certain things happen um, in our day-to-day lives, which become an aha moment. I think the aha moment came for Bob and I uh, when we were at Cisco and we had just won a, a really, really big multi-million dollar deal for a wireless land refresh. Um, and then there was a, a dinner meeting where there was a discussion, you know, going on as to everybody's excited. Cisco is excited. The customer is excited at the prospects of the whole new wireless network to be put. And it was interesting at the dinner, Bob was asked by the customer, so Bob, I've spent multi-million dollars on this uh, investment. How do I know that on Monday, when we when this network goes live, and the first customer walks in, his screen he doesn't get a spinning wheel, which means he's having a bad network connection. And Bob basically said, "I do not know. I can tell you whether the access point is working. I can tell you whether the switch is working." I can tell you whether the network is working, but I can't tell you what is wrong with the end user experience. And here's the customer looking at us and saying, so I've spent multi-million dollars on this refresh and you still cannot answer my basic question. And that was the aha moment where, you know, Bob uh, realized that, hey, when he co-founded Airspace, it was fundamentally about connecting, you know, laptops and making sure the access points are working. It was about managing the network. And now, after this discussion, it went to, it's all about managing the end user experience. Hence, the new network was all about knowing what is the experience of the end user connecting to the network rather than whether the network is, is up or down. And that was the first aha moment. And as we started digesting that aha moment, it came to the fact that if I have to be able to deliver a network which focuses on end user, it means I have to fundamentally look at creating an architecture with a clean sheet of paper without any morass of past association with a single focus on end user experience. So Alejandro, for us, that was the day 
frankly, the customer meeting and then coming to the realization that it indeed is time to look at a next generation network. Got it. So as you guys were thinking about this and and the execution, you know, obviously I, I understand that that Bob went at it first and then it was a Sujay. So so why why did you guys make this decision? Why didn't you go, you know, at the same time together on this, Bob? Yeah, no, I think as uh, you know, Sujay was mentioning, I think, you know, that you know, when we looked at the MIST, the other big thing was really around uh, Jeopardy and what I call Watson. Um, the other big emphasis for MIST was really around the fact that this AI technology was ready for prime time. Um, so I took off in May, I think in May of uh, 2014. Um, at the time, I think Sujay was still had some commitments at Cisco that he had to follow up on. Uh, so I left in 2014 to get the company off the ground and started and then Sujay basically left in I think October timeframe of the of that year. Got it. Got it. So so why Sujay? Why being the two of you uh, with the background of of engineering? Why did you guys decided to to divide up the roles of you being the CEO and Bob being the CTO? I think that's uh, the way I would look at it. Is Bob and I have had a, a very strong teaming partnership where we have fundamentally decided like what am I good at and what is Bob good at? Bob was the technology soul of Mist. He still is. He was the one who had the idea. And where I was able to uh, contribute in the role was to look at Bob's idea and see how I create a market out of it. How do I create a product market fit out of it to fundamentally build the company? So, you know, I, I would ask Bob for his opinion, but it actually was very uh, simple and obvious as to how we both divided our roles. Got it. So, Bob, what's your opinion? Yeah, so, you know, my background is, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm mostly a technology guy who enjoys uh, basically figuring out how to turn technology, how to monetize technology. Um, both at Airspace and at MIST, I've always looked for, you know, kind of finding partners and CEO partners and for me, CEOs have kind of five good attributes. You know, when you have a good CEO, you need to have, they need to have five attributes. Uh, and typically, I have found that, you know, really good CEOs, they're good at sales, they're good at product management, they're good at running the business, um, and they're good at understanding the technology. Um, and I think, you know, when I worked in Sujay, Sujay met all those kind of four or five criterias. Uh, you know, when you look at trying to find a good CEO for a company, uh, Sujay had been a GM. He basically been a general manager at Cisco. So he was used to running very large businesses. Um, and I think to Sujay's credit, you know, the difference between a GM is, uh, and a CEO is slightly different. Uh, and there's not many people who can actually roll, jump between a general manager role and a CEO role. Uh, and I think that's something that Sujay's done, right? Sujay's been able to be both a general manager and a CEO of a company. Uh, so that was kind of my, when I looked for partners, um, Sujay met all the criteria of having all the attributes of a great CEO. So then in this case, uh, Sujay, why, what ended up being the business model of MIST? So we, from a very simple perspective, when we were looking at a new architecture, which was focused on end user experience, we also fundamentally feel proud that we brought we fundamentally satisfied the network. What I mean by that is we brought the agility of a SaaS business to a very 
core Spartan networking business, which allows customers to make changes to the network at the speed of the mobile application. And towards that, the business was pretty much a software-driven business uh, where the customer, it's a SaaS-based subscription. They, you know, they buy what they need uh, and uh, they renew if they continue to like the value we derive. So very simple business model. But the fundamental focus, Alejandro, was sassifying the networking business by bringing that agility and by bringing that whole focus on trying to have the customer consume the network in a cloud business model. Got it. And and Bob, as you're as you're looking back and and really you know thinking about like how you guys really brought this 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 company and and really you know got this business model to gain some shape. What are some of the some of the early days? What were some of the challenges that you guys were experiencing? Yeah, I mean, I think you know you look at any startup like Mist, right? You know, there's kind of the what I call product fit, market fit. You know, so we had a market fit theory of you know market need and new architecture. Uh, Product fit is really around execution, right? And I think in the very early days, it was basically because we were trying to execute on two different things, right? On the Wi-Fi side, we were trying to execute on bringing a solution to market that could actually answer questions on part of network domain experts. Uh, and that was kind of the AI execution challenge, you know, and that is a very, that's a multi-year journey. And so when you look at MIST, you know, trying to build that AI solution, we had to build it in steps while we were still selling it. Um, and then on the line of business side, we were also bringing this, bringing indoor location on part of GPS vision, right? Because uh, this was tied to people putting more critical service on top of their wireless networks. Uh, so I think in the early days, there was the challenge of how do we bring a solution to market that's a AI solution um, that we have to basically monetize in steps, right? right. We're, you know, it's a four-year journey. We basically have to basically bring it to market in steps. Uh, and then on the line of business side, we're basically bringing in a whole indoor location technology uh, alongside of it. Got it, got it. And so, Jay, how did you guys go about capitalizing the business? Because I understand that uh, you guys raised a little bit of money. And obviously, from the sound of it, it sounds like a capital-intensive business as well. Uh, absolutely, Alejandro, and and it's it's. I appreciate that you recognize that that challenge. I think our fundamental focus, if I just take a step back, uh, started with clearly realizing that we have to come out with a new architecture, and that new architecture, which is going to be AI driven, needed us to have control of the data. So, unlike many other startups, we had we made a big decision, uh, and frankly, I thank Bob for having that foresight to build our own access point hardware. Many people questioned us, Alejandro, why do you need to build access point hardware when you're fundamentally focused on software? We needed that because we felt existing architectures just couldn't give us the data to create the insights we needed from our AI engine. That meant it's a capital intensive business. And that meant we had to focus on having tier one investors who believed in longevity and the long game. And that is where our Series A was done by Lightspeed and Norwest. We were very lucky that, you know, in less than 14, 15 months, we had an unsolicited request from uh, some investors uh, for Series B. And we fundamentally partnered with Google Ventures uh, to be who led our Series B. And then last but not the least, uh, again, within 12 to 14 months, uh, we were, had an investment for Series C led by Kleiner Perkins. 
So again, a very accomplished uh, set of investors, which allowed us to make sure that we can focus on building what we had to build. Um, along the way in CDC, we were also joined by some strategic investments by InQtel, um, which is pretty well known uh, from a federal government perspective and also uh, entity, entity Docomo from Japan. But having this lead set of investors, it really put us at ease from the perspective of the capital intensive nature of the business. Then looking back at the business, our key thing, as Bob said, was all about achieving product market fit. So we were just, we were not in a mad rush, Alejandro, to just create or get a product out. We were in a very strong maniacal focus of bringing a product which could deliver on the end user experience. We were very blessed. And we felt the technology spoke for itself that we had some of the Fortune 10 companies who started looking at our architecture. And then as few of them joined our beta programs, then the word started spreading. And we were extremely lucky and extremely blessed that some customers fundamentally said, yes, the way Mist is doing is the way to go. And they started shaping the product. So it was not just you know, Bob's foresight of where the industry is going, we were able to get a product market fit because early on, some key customers shaped where the product needs to go. And then from then, as the word spread that, hey, they're really able to bring AI to networking for a next generation network, the rest was history. Our customer acquisition grew extremely rapidly. Got it. So, so going back to to one of your comments. So, so first and foremost, how much capital did you guys raise prior to the acquisition? Uh, prior to the acquisition, close to, I think, approximately 90 million, around 87 or 88 million, Alejandro. Got it. And also to follow up on one of your points there. So you were mentioning that it was super important to, to, to bring on board tier one investors. So in your mind, when you guys were discussing and, and between you and then also with, with some of your advisors, what in your eyes was a tier one investor, what did that profile look like? Uh, you know, it always starts with the brand. Like, you know, when we are having, uh, when we interview people, we look at what schools they went to. But that was not enough for us. Beyond the brand, there were three critical things. First thing we wanted to look at as an is, is an investor who was ready to play the long game, who had resiliency and who had a proven track record to stick on with companies through the thick and thin. And Norwest actually does extremely well in, in that regard. Uh, second was about looking at investors who fundamentally are able to open a network for you, right? Because see, these investors manage multiple companies and many of the companies go through the same growing pains. We wanted to look at an investor who has really worked with a company to solve some of those growing pains through a network they had. And there, you know, you start looking at, you've got Sequoia, you've got Battery, you've got Benchmark, you've got Lightspeed, you've got many which come uh, uh, to the table. But then the last thing which we wanted to look at is the investor who understands or has an empathy for the type of business we are in. And that is what led us to settle on uh, Series A with Lightspeed and Norwest, Series B with Google Ventures, and Series C with Kleiner Perkins. Very cool. I mean, definitely the the red carpet, the the Oscars of uh, of, uh, of of venture investors, guys. So so really cool. So so Bob, I like to get your thoughts here. You know, on on one of the points that that Sujay was was talking about product market fit. What was the key 
validator or, or that type of um, validation that you were looking um, for in terms of like something that would tell you guys, hey, we've, we, we're there. We, we made it to, to product market fit, to that promised land on the product. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, as I was, when I was a mobility CTO at Cisco, um, I could start to see the market was changing probably about halfway through my Cisco venture. Uh, when I was talking to some very large customers, uh, and it became kind of very clear that the market had started from kind of Wi-Fi being this nice to have uh, back in the early 2000s um, to becoming more of a must have. And we started to see more and more big customers trying to put critical services on top of their wireless networks. And this was kind of in the form of uh, either B2C customers, you know, hotels, retail stores who are trying to put some sort of consumer app on the mobile phone, right? They're trying to do some sort of digital transformation on their consumer product, or it was some business putting robots, you know, they were putting robots on the wireless networks. Um, so that was kind of the key to, hey, there's a market, there's something happening in the market transition. I would say the other key thing that became clear is that it was really what I call an architectural change. And, you know, and I saw this happen at Airspace also, then when we did Airspace, uh, that was fundamentally an architectural change from an autonomous access point architecture into a controller architecture. Um, here at MIST, the architectural change was really probably two things. One is moving to more of a cloud distributed software architecture. So there's a major architecture change. Uh, and then there was the AI technology. Uh, there was the kind of realization when I saw Watson play Jeopardy, you know, starting to understand that the AI ML technology was starting to become more real and practical. Uh, so those were kind of the key milestones of there's a, a market change, basic market transition happening. And then there was also an architectural change um, that was really easier to do in a small startup because it's really, when you see architectural changes, uh, that's when you have an opportunity to go into a mature market um, against big, uh, big established players. Um, got it. So then, so then, obviously, we were talking about you know you guys got this uh, this validation. You know the company started to mature, started to grow. Uh, you got these great investors. So then, uh, Sojay, how how big was the business? Uh, how many employees, for example, to give us a sense, did the company have prior to the acquisition? Right at the time where you guys, let's say, were signing the the documents. So uh, close to the acquisition, we were. Uh, north of 120 employees, which was across uh, sales and uh, engineering and marketing. And uh, engineering, of course, was the biggest uh, uh, chunk of uh, our headcount. Um, so can you tell us about how the acquisition came about? Oh, ab absolutely. So it was actually very rapid. I have to say that it was very rapid and very fast. So what was happening is as we continued to enjoy a lot of success uh, in the industry, we were getting uh, uh, approached by you know some key companies in the networking space and at the same time by uh, investors to see if they wanted to if we wanted to partner with them to fundamentally grow the business at this point in time we as a company had a choice of either continuing on to build uh, the company for an ipo which was frankly the way we had started the the company and the thought process because you have to. Yeah. And the second option was, you know, should we uh, partner with uh, certain companies? And our overarching goal became twofold. The two key aspects we wanted to look at. Number one, which of these options 
helps us realize our vision for an AI-driven network, what we call the AI-driven enterprise. So number one, which option allows us to get there faster? And number two, which option is better for our employees? That was probably you know one of the key primary considerations because remember, MIST is made up of folks who have been in the wireless and networking industry for a long time. And when MIST started, it was actually a lot of our folks who we have competed with before who came and joined to form MIST and really create an amazing technology. So we had to make sure that any option we choose chose was helping us realize our vision for an AI-driven enterprise and number two, helping making sure the employees felt good. And going through a lot of discussions, going through the board who was extremely supportive of what Bob and I wanted to do, we came to the conclusion that, you know, the Juniper proposal made the best sense in terms of realizing our vision and at the same time, something which is good for the employees. And the key factor for the Juniper acquisition was the CEO, Rami Rahim, who was so personally involved in the acquisition and clearly saw the vision and realized the importance of employee satisfaction. Very cool. And Bob, what was going through your mind when those papers were signed? Yeah, and I think uh, as Sujay mentioned, you know, we went through kind of the same uh, pro- process at Airspace. I think, you know, you always plan on going to IPO, and that's always the plan when you start a company. Uh, but you finally get to the phase when you want to scale the company, you know, that becomes a big sales cost. And I think we got to the point where, you know, going into Series D, you have to kind of make the decision, you know, do you want to raise money and stay at the plate or do you want to like join a, um, you know, join a partner who has a big sales team, has a sales team that can actually scale the business. Um, and that's kind of what happened at Cisco and Airspace where we basically, you know, went to Cisco and scaled the business. Um, I think we're doing the same thing here at Juniper. You know, we basically are joining a great company with a great sales team in the enterprise space where now we have the opportunity the next phase is really scaling the business. Got it. Very cool. So I guess the, um, you know, and this is going to be a question that I, that I like the two of you guys to, to kind of like give me your thoughts. Um, there is a, not such thing as a straight line when you are an entrepreneur, right? And I'm sure that, you know, there is those moments where you have the ups and the downs. I think that on the downs is really where we can really break through and, and, and really achieve unbelievable and unimaginable uh, results. So I guess uh, maybe, Sojay, we can start with you. What were perhaps some of the gray days and perhaps a breakdown that really led into a massive breakthrough for you and for the business? You know, Alejandro, this is such an important uh, question, and hopefully other entrepreneurs could get some feedback and advice from the answers. From our perspective, we had not one, but we had a multiple days of, oh my God, what's going on? And what kept us going and frankly, did unimaginable things. And I'm going to speak about uh, two of them specifically. What kept us going was fundamentally the belief in each other as a team. I mean, the bond between Bob and I, of course, is extremely strong. But at the same time, having that same bond and a culture of family first, which bound us as a company, was critical. So even during the dark days, it was not about an issue of nervousness. It was more of a paranoia about how do I get out of it? One of the key things we did, which is uh, industry changing and a patent which was awarded in less than a year, Bob's idea of something called the virtual BLE, uh, the virtual beacon technology. It wasn't, it has never been done before. There was no precedence. 
and it was not an easy task but we went on to it and then we realized that hey we had to build a certain type of antenna which has not been done before at all but we stuck on with it there were days where I'm like bomb is this going to work and my dad is where we had to have the belief and guess what it worked it worked beautifully and was one of the key milestones for the company to achieve and the second thing was all about the focus on the efficacy of the ai engine it was about fundamentally an organizational change which i'm not going to go into too much detail an organizational change within how companies are normally structured where customer success and engineering and data science have to work very closely together today it had never been done before again no organ companies organizations are built that way that was a second key decision we took on how you wanted to organize our teams so i would say you had these were two critical moments i'm sure bob will have some of his own but what kept us together was a fundamental belief in the team and it's always team before self i love it i love it so bob feel free to share your thoughts on this yeah you know on on this adventure i have to say you know the product fit and the market fit were pretty straight and narrow we did not deviate much when we started the mission right you know we kind of started the mission with ai and um making the bringing the location part of gps um so for me it was mostly about execution now there were some very scary there were some moments where you know the execution was are we going to make it on time and uh or uh, we have customer issues uh but if i think back the adventure the ble virtual ble adventures there were some very interesting points on that adventure uh in fact suje minute it was ultimately a team sport i think to Sujay and Miss Credit is we actually had a very strong team on this adventure um that stood up to every moment when we when we came up against it right you know because you think about startups it's really about execution um there's usually more more than one startup that has the same vision uh you know kind of what separates the winners and the losers is how well the team executes yeah. uh on yeah. this adventure we came up to every scary moment and the team actually stood up and executed whether it was on the virtual ble uh and getting that to work uh or whether it was on the marvis ai uh engine uh and bringing that together i would agree with sujay probably the you know the the critical part on the ai was really bringing the operational team our support customer support team and our data science team together uh that was something that's never been done before um and that was kind of a another moment in the company of making sure you know is this really going to work um and so that was another one where the team actually actually executed beyond uh beyond our expectations that's amazing so so another question here to throw and this one is uh, is one that i always like to ask the guests that that come on the show and that is knowing what you know now if you had the opportunity to go back and have a chat with your younger self and give yourself that younger self one piece of business advice before launching a company what would that be and why and maybe we start with you sujay uh, absolutely i think the the critical piece of advice will be build the culture of the company earlier we feel that was one of the key recipes for success the and the culture has to mean something the way we build the culture was you know all the things which kept me away from a startup why did i have to wait till i was 46 before starting a just a startup of my own with bob friday it was fundamentally three things one is i'd always heard at startups you know you don't have a family life 
incorrect. We made sure our first gospel was family comes first. Second thing I used to hear, we never normally know how much money is in the bank. Incorrect. We fundamentally came out with openness and transparency where every, any time, every employee in the company knew how much money we had in the bank. And last but not the least is a 24-hour rule. If something's being blocked, if it doesn't get to an executive's attention within 24 hours, there's something wrong in the company. Because, you know, if issues fester, you cannot execute. And if you cannot execute, you die. So fundamentally, these were the three tenets of our culture, family first, openness and transparency and 24-hour rule. And as we scaled, we added a fourth critical tenet, which was team before self. So if I was to advise you know, anyone else, the key part I will say is, yes, technology is important, go-to-market is important, but if you don't have culture, you don't have the link, you don't have the bond, the company will not succeed. Very powerful. Bob, what would you tell your younger self? Um. And I think after all the things I've learned after the last couple of ventures is one is a product and market fit. You have to really believe you got to make sure your product and market fit theory is, uh, is correct. Um, I think, you know, along with Sujay mentioned, I would say ultimately, I think startups are the, what I call the ultimate team sport. Um, you know, it takes both engineering, marketing and sales to execute on a startup. Um, I think a lot of startups think it's all about engineering. You know, it takes all three things to execute. And I think, you know, while it's an ultimate team sport, um, ultimately the CEO and the executive team make the big decision. And most startups, it's usually one or two decisions that make or break the startup. Um, so I found is that you got to really have the right CEO and the right executive team in place to make those critical decisions set on the adventure. Got it. Got it. So for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Maybe you guys uh, use social media or maybe, you know, like there is a, an email or something. Uh, Sujay, maybe we start with you. What is the best way for them to connect with you? Uh, absolutely. They can just send an email to sujay at mist.com or, you know, reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter or any aspect you prefer. Fantastic. And what is your Twitter handle, Sujay? It's Sujay Hajela. Okay, fantastic. Bob, what about yourself? Uh, name's Bob, uh, Bob at miss.com and, uh, LinkedIn are two good ways to get connected with me. Fantastic. Well, guys, thank you so much for being on the dealmaker show today. Thank you so much, Alejandro, for the opportunity. Yep. Thank you much. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend, perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.